Now that that's finished, hello my petals, welcome back to another episode of The Rose Garden. I am your host, Tabla Rosa, aka La Rosa Negra, or Black Rose, if you're nasty. And it is Black History Month! First of all, white people, to the back! To the back immediately! Thank you, looks better already. Now, with me today, I have Kat. You should remember her from last season. Get, you want to introduce yourself? Say hey, say hi, say something to the people. Hey, 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 black people. Whoop. I, I think it's a couple of people, black people, but that works. <laughs> well, you know, my, I was talking about the people in the front today. Hey, that's hey, fair. hey, people. That's fair. Visibility matters. <laughs> I mean, this is our time to shine, so don't even feel bad about that. <laughs> Realistically, any listeners that know, because I made it very apparent in the last mini episode, preparing y'all for this goddamn month. There are things we are having and not having and what we are not doing. It's coming for black people. This is our time. This is our space. Y'all got the rest of the year. Well, well, if you're non-black POC, you got your spaces, but not really. But point being, this is our designated time. We don't step on your toes, and more than, more especially, black people tend to be the most inclusive groups. But right now, I'm imploring us to be selfish, because we have 28 days. Not an entire month, we have 28 fucking days. That being said, today we're going to talk about what it means to be black in our black experiences. Now, I want to clarify for everyone listening... Our black experiences are not the black experience. She and I will likely not have the exact same black experience. We may have overlaps, but they will not be the same because blackness is not what? A monolith. Thank you for saying it with me. If you didn't, go back, rewind it a few times, say it to yourself. Blackness is not a monolith. We are all unique individuals. We have our own persons and our own personhood. We are responsible for our own actions and while we're not given the luxury of individuality, we're taking it at least this month. Thank you kindly. Now, first thing I want to ask Kat honestly, because I'm sure y'all already know so much about my black experience because I, I make sure to sort of drill into everyone's head. <laughs> Um, how exactly would you define yourself as a black person, as a black woman? Do you want to, like, specify in that, or do you just want to see black person first? Does it matter? Does it separate for you? Yes. Um, I like to identify myself as black first and foremost. That comes before everything. And make sure that B is capitalized when you say it and when you write it, especially in your academic papers, please. Black is capitalized, okay? Um, it actually makes me feel a little uncomfortable when white people address me as African-American. I prefer they just call me what I am, and that is black. It's, I, honestly, I have to share that sentiment because it's a little bit awkward for me. Like, I know on my mother's side, at least where part of my lineage comes from, because she's half black, half Afro-Latina from Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's finding out that information and then... Realizing, I'm like, okay, so quarter Puerto Rico, rest of it's black. Don't know exactly where from. African American don't fit because it doesn't. We didn't immigrate there. We were brought over here from God knows where. 
like African Americans actively can say, I am a Nigerian American, I am an Ethiopian American, a Somali American, so on and so forth. They can always trace back their lineage. For me, it's just, I don't feel like African American actually fits as a title because, like, Eidos, obviously, but where? It's like, I'm not from an entire continent. And you know what? That actually makes me want to say it even better. Just call me what you already told me I was from the beginning, which was a nigger, which was black. Don't try to change it now to make me feel better about what you want me to be. I'm black, and I like it, and I'm proud of it. Right, we reclaimed it. Don't call me a nigger, actually. I want to clarify that. I don't think Kat actually means call her a nigger at all, and especially at all, because... If she don't swing on you, if I'm anywhere nearby, or if I hear about it, I will. Let's be very clear on that. Please, please don't. I don't want to catch a case. <laughs> Thank you. Between both of us, somebody's liable to be dead. So, for your safety and my liberty, let's use that word since Americans love it so much. For your safety and my liberty, let's refrain from using any forms of the N-word if you are not black referring to us but don't try and sugarcoat or try and apologize to us for what's happened as black individuals because we've already made our peace with the fact that we don't know where we came from we've sort of been brought here it's been a fucked up history but we're here now we exist within the world at least that's my understanding of it absolutely we help build this world of america absolutely yeah I'd reach to say we kind of own America, but you know what? I'm not. I'm not gonna overstep a little bit because I'm mm. like I don't even know if I want it. Like, right. They they built. They had us build all this shit with white ideals in mind. I don't know if I want it. I just sort of exist here right now. <laughs> Absolutely. And then after black, my identity comes my gender mm-hmm. because I am a woman and I identify as a woman. I am femme, and then I am queer. So. That's who I am today, and that's my black experience. That makes sense. I'm actually going to do an episode on black femininity, so I mean, I'll probably have you back for that one as well. Call it maybe a part two, or maybe you can call this, like, it's its own idea, but it's call it an introductory episode to blackness, because it's not going to get much easier for you. I'd like you to know that. It might be more entertaining, because different voices and different perspectives and different people I know may bring different comedic values, so it might be more entertaining, but... Not going to be easy. None of these conversations are going to be easy this month. Let's make that very clear for you as well. Um, I suppose I should just quickly do the rundown for all the people who didn't catch it in a previous episode. I am also black above all else. However, also, I don't like to, like, I don't put my identities on tiers because I find them all, like... I strongly believe in intersectionality, and so with it all being intersection, it's a little bit weird for me because they're gonna. When, I don't like the phrase intersectionality either because when people think intersections, they think freeway, and not freeways, they think like driving roads, which means you've got two cross streets, and I'm like, that doesn't work because I've got multiple crossing person, uh, personal, not personalities, identities. Wow, English is hard. <laughs> um, so I'm black. And I'm queer, and I'm trans, and I'm uh, plus size. All of these things feed into my black experience. This means that it's a little bit harder for me to find, oh, well, like, 
it's harder for me especially than like the traditional black person to find pants and stuff that fit because while we traditionally have larger hips speaking to a general um, phenotype I have large hips that come with extra weight and so finding body proportions they're building body proportions on quote-unquote skinny bodies that have more weight and so they don't compensate for the fact that I also still have hips that come with this body when it gets to being plus-sized. Me being uh, trans and black sort of contrast one another because it's always having to decide when I'm approaching the black community, am I like, am I going to put my trans on the shelf or am I going to have to fall into my trans and be like, no, 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 I am here, this is who I am, and prepare myself to potentially walk into a fight, potentially walk into an argument, potentially walk into misgendering and invalidation that can trigger dysphoria. There's always bracing yourself for all these different intersections. And it gets very, very tight fitting all these lines together because the more I think about it, I'm sure I could probably find more and more intersections. I'm a nerd. I'm a little bit privileged. I'm not exactly middle class, but it's a weird space to be in. I'm upper poor class. <laughs> or upper lower class, excuse me. Because I've, I've, I realize class as well is defined not just by money and means, but also by access to education. Mm -hmm. And I've always had a large access to education because I started out my educational career in private school. And then it transferred to public charter. But then after public charter, I came to college. So I've always had a little bit more educationally than most people within public school systems. Not by much, though. I'm going to be honest with you. Once you leave the private school system, you can definitely tell the difference. <laughs> it's not funny. Here, here. Um, what would you say makes you feel like you're limited in your blackness? Hmm. Um, I think I feel limited in my blackness due to social constructs um, that define institutions in that way to make me feel limited. Um, I'm limited, I feel limited in how beautiful I am due to social constructs of beauty based on European idea, um, ideals and not going back to ancient Egyptians who really are the true um, identifiers of beauty in this world. Um, limited in how I feel about how smart I am because I have to compare myself to um, exactly, you know, oh. and, and whether I know their facts, right? And if I know their supposed gods and their creator of this world. So it's hard for me to put labels on myself or to identify myself within categories um, because I'm still struggling with my black identity at the hands of white people. Thank you very much. Oh, and if I can tag on to that, it's also hard to like identify my like morality as a black person as well because you're always made to feel like your feelings or your um stances on things are always wrong because you're playing a victim card so you're coming from a place of victimhood or you're coming from a place of um what's the word i can't figure out the word for it so we're just gonna deal with the long explanation basically they're always treating you as though you're this helpless creature but also mm -hmm. expecting you to be able to help yourself so if decide which one it is. Am I the limp dog that you're trying to help here or am I the limp dog that can still walk? Like It's a good and bad to our resiliency they say we have. Oh, I hate being strong. Oh, mm -hmm. I fucking hate it. Like, mm -hmm. 
especially as a um, femme presenting. Um, I hate being perceived as the strong black woman because... To be strong, black woman means to carry the weight of the world. And I mean that quite literally. Literally everyone will dump their shit on you because white people dump all their problems on people of color. People of color then take all of those problems and they're like, well, at least I'm not black, which means it all falls on black people. And then black men get to come home and dump it on the fence. Mm -hmm. And then... Slight tangent because I realized it can go both ways. It's a little bit of an awkward uh, hot potato situation. Black queer men are like essentially the lowest on the unfortunate totem pole. Even though I re- like don't like referring to it, we do have one. Is gonna be the black queer woman because black queer men still have that male privilege that sort of like not necessarily offsets. It just also allows the pendulum to swing a little bit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, <sighs> because we are the most hated. The black woman, whether femme, non-femme, non-gender identifying, if you're perceived by society as a black woman, you are the most hated, the most discriminated. We can look at statistics and we can put natives and indigenous populations above us in certain categories of domestic abuse and whatnot, but across the board, disproportionately, we are hated. We are hated. And to just turn it a bit to make my statement a little bit more solution focused as far as my limits go or how I feel about how limitless I am. Having black support networks is very empowering. It is super important to the black experience. And I am very, very thankful for the black support network that we do have in this community here how small it is, it is still something that we can grab onto to help build us up when we're struggling. Living here amongst 94, 90, what, 83%, over 83% white, that's for sure. (sighs) Take a breath, release all that, because that, that was heavy. I do want to, not necessarily, it's not a wrong thing, just more, I don't know if Native American or Indigenous Americans have been given the, still the view of humanity, so it's not, like, we're hated because now we fought to this point, and they can't stop us from being perceived as people, but as much as we have this common knowledge that Indigenous people are actual people. We continue to treat them as though they're literally a fixture to the earth and move them out the way or Mm -hmm. disregard them. Mm -hmm. And because of genocide within the nation, it's made it easier to treat them as a fixture. Whereas with black people, we're a minority, Mm -hmm. but also we're a large enough minority to at least stand for ourselves. But do you think that maybe that's a privilege and an added layer of safety in a way? Not to say that there's still no struggle in who they are and what they go through. But the fact that maybe they kept themselves to themselves and it kind of protected them a little bit more than us who didn't have that type of family because ours was so broken and so torn into. Does that make sense? I totally get you there. I want to say, as much as it's hard to have that fixture, at least they have moving units where they can always say, this is where we've come from. And there's especially with their traditions, 
it's a little bit harder to retain them with the loss of people, especially, again, through repeated genocides and medical bioterrorism and so many other things that have, again, also happened to us. But at least within them, they've gotten to maintain and retain at least a yes. portion of their culture that they can truly identify and say, this is where we yeah. started, and although we're not there now, this is what we have, mm-hmm. this is what we cherish, this is who we were, mm-hmm. this is who we are now, and it's a shitty journey, because I feel like I can't I can't truly speak to the indigenous, um, the indigenous experience or right. struggle, because everybody this black swear somebody got some Indian blood in them and it's quite possible because there was a whole bunch of indigenous and black mingling mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Um, there was a whole rule that came along for indigenous people to be identified they had to stop mixing with anyone who wasn't indigenous mm. except for white people but also it was right. like it's confusing but <sighs> it was surprising for me to learn when I moved here to Northern California how many white folk had identified. I was like, wait a second, my grandma told me I was native. My grandma told me we had Cherokee. But but where's my where's my native at? Right. But all these white folk around here calling themselves and I ain't even gonna go there. It's so many it's so many white indigenous folk. I'm honestly, if you won't go there, I will because I continuously I won't deny um his indigenous uh lineage because that is not my place. That's not my job i'm not gonna gatekeep indigenous um identities however comma i find it very very intriguing that the only indigenous or rather the only publicly stated indigenous uh person who was ever on drag race was a very white man Mm. from i think he's he's from one of those like traditionally white considered states Mm -hmm. minnesota or wisconsin or something Mm -hmm. like that Mm -hmm. trixie mattel my dear you are indigenous, but very, very white passing. Right. And so repeating that you're indigenous does not erase your white experience of the world. Right. And it also doesn't make it okay for you to make Holocaust jokes or other edgy jokes mm. like that. Just because you're, like, especially considering, again, you're very white passing, it makes it hit a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. But then you have also... Um, white passing indigenous people who realize their white passing this like i'm gonna go ahead and shout out um my friend jj um she's trans and um indigenous but white passing but realizes the space within the white passing this are like i realize that i am white passing and since i am white passing i navigate the world with the privilege to view things from a white point of view I don't deny or not understand my um, background, but I still look at everything from a white guise because as much as I know my history, I also realize I've been given whiteness. And so there's that actively using whiteness to um, her advantage to assist me because when I need to or if I need to within spaces, she's more than willing to use her voice. And then as well with using her voice, I wouldn't ask her to, but she'd be willing to put her body on the line. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Enlightenment. I think that's a huge part of the black experience, you know. Um, we can say that we being angry is a part of the black experience, but liberation is even more important to the black experience. Recognizing your challenges, your struggles, but also 
seeing the privilege in some of your experiences or your intersections, right? For example, me being a femme queer, okay? When people look at me and they automatically assume I'm straight unless I have some identifying piece on me towards the LGBTQ plus community. Nonetheless, I start wearing more identifying pieces to make sure that I exercise my privilege and I just don't walk around here when I'm safe to do so and not admit into the world who I am because a lot of people can't. And so I think that we all have to be enlightened to kind of just figure out how to um, lift up others and how to empower others so that we all can get a seat at this table. I do have a question to that though. Mm -hmm. um, do you ever feel the need to like sort of radicalize because I find myself in this space and mm -hmm. I'm using the similar example of mm -hmm. me being um, trans queer but very very femme presenting mm -hmm. um, I sometimes feel the need to like act overtly masculine even though I'm still regaled to like this tomboy mm -hmm. or like butch woman role as opposed to my actual trans identity because they I guess they don't realize it but also it's not something that you truly can realize unless I drop trial in front of you, which is still sort of awkward. <laughs> yes, I do. I don't fit in anywhere. Right. So when I get with my LGBTQ folk, you know what I'm saying? I already know I'm the little baby of the group, you know? And it just is what it is, you know? I'm a, I'm a baby in a lot of groups that I'm a part of. But if I wasn't always looking at myself with a little magnifying glass because I went to school from day one with white folk and was always the only black girl in class, then maybe I would feel more accepting, right? But yeah, I think that um, subgroups is always going to be hard to kind of get to the top of if, it's, if you're not fitting into that norm because there's always a norm, even of the not norm. You know, that's exactly, I just had this conversation within my group chat right now. I'm all like, everyone as a human, like, wants to strive for normalcy. Mm -hmm. Now, normal is objective in the general society, but subjective to your experience. Because normalcy for, like I explained, it depends on what you've been socialized into, borrowing what I've, like, the terminology that I've learned. Because I've known this knowledge, I just didn't have the words for it. Um... Normalcy is dependent on what you've been socialized into. Because, for example, it's real, real fucked up. But to white supremacists, that's a normal for them. Right. So, mm -hmm. it all just matters on your perception of normal. And so, pushing that boundary for me is always, like, do I want to buck against it? Or do I want to actually sit in my normal and be like, okay, this is what's normal for me. It may not be normal for you, but this works for me. Or do I want to go, nah. This is what's normal for me, but I want to make you even more uncomfortable. So I'm going to amp it up a notch or two. Dr. Tia um, Harrison of Sacramento, safe black space, if you ever want to tap into that. She gave me this, and I put this on my mirror because this is what I have to wake up to and remind myself as a black queer woman in the United States of America. And it's questions. Is this good for me? Is this good for black people? If the answer is no to either question, don't do it. I'm, I'm both with her and conflicted with that because 
to be uh, again it's that whole situation with contrasting in identities to be queer sort of doesn't seem to be good for black people although mm. like in reality it is mm-hmm. because like mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with the black experience but in theory they seem to have this practice of it ruining this black image mm-hmm. so it contrasts with what a lot of the black community sees as this um upward mobility and movement of blackness mm-hmm. Yes, there's lots of conversations about our men aren't strong enough right now and how queerness is taking over. I agree with it, men not being strong Mm -hmm. enough, but not in the context most people would think. I think they're not strong enough, not necessarily just because of the lack of father figures, but also because of the lack of accountability we as a community refuse to give these men. I meant in particular to queer men. Ah, mm-hmm. I see. Oh, yeah, the femininity yes. within their identity. Yes. I see. Mm-hmm. That is destroying the identity of a strong black, black man, man, right? Yeah. So, yes, those conversations have been around and are coming back around. And I guess that would apply to this. But I feel like my queerness is good for black people. We need to expand and enlighten. That is a part of the black experience. We need to keep growing into the likeness of our creator. And if we go all the way back, to ma'at, okay, from our Egyptians, we will see that there was lots of what we interpret as femininity existing in our male genders of the population. Honestly, and then also it spells into more respect for both spaces within the genders too because with men being able to accept femininity within themselves and the realization that they're not just men like no one is completely masculine or feminine we have our own balances yep. and like quantities of these identities and even neutrality in between them because it's three sections it's, mm-hmm. sometimes you're not masculine mm-hmm. or feminine you're just in this weird space where you're like I exist yep. once you begin to accept these things you begin to accept your other counterparts which makes it better for everyone and all of those experiences are our experiences down to our roots. We've been stripped from those experiences. We've been told to be ashamed of those experiences. And we need to get back to that. That's... Ah, oh, this is so beautiful. Now, I, I, I am going to be a little messy just <laughs> to the black experience. Do you feel like do you believe in the concept of a black card? <laughs> <laughs> well, that just goes back to normalcy, right? <laughs> What's your definition of the black card? Maybe in your household it was eating lobster and steak every night, right? Well. Maybe in, in the other household it was knowing that you need to sometimes mix that water in that lotion container when you start to run out, right? Mm-hmm. So that's also the black experience. It's struggling between am I too bougie? Am I too educated? Am I not hood enough? Am I not ready to take a freaking case if I need to? It's a struggle. So I do think the black card is real. I just, you know, think it's several black cards we can wear. (laughs) We could own. It ain't just one black card like the American Express. So it's like Visa. We got our different tiers. Mm -hmm. Well, not tiers of blackness, but different styles of blackness. Yes, thank you. Because we are diverse. It's all money in the end, but it's different types of money. Mm -hmm. Or different ways the money is doled out and spent. Yeah. Okay, I kind of like that, actually. Mm, But circling back to it, 
Um, I will say, because <laughs> I'm going to do the whole popper thing to consider struggle to be a part of blackness is anti-black. And we have to consider that. Yes, I'm aware, especially now because it's a TikTok circulating. But, 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 I can truthfully say I refuse to eat chitlins. I don't care how. I don't care how fucking down bad. It could be the last thing on this planet. I am not cleaning. I'm not touching. I'm not smelling. I am judging you if I see you eating it. I'm sorry. This is my truth. I cannot. I can't do I can't do it. Yeah, I'll take somebody black card if they tell me they don't like collard greens. You done. Get out. You ain't coming in my house. See, I don't like certain collard greens. I can't do turners. Well, I can, see, we, but but I think like us. Well, being, no, you just said collards. I'm collards. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I make kale mm-hmm. and, put my, and put, mix them into my greens. That works. I mix cabbage in mine. So. Mm-hmm. But it, and now we getting our black card pull now. We eating kale. <laughs> um, there's a misconception. Oh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do this too. There's a misconception mm-hmm. with our diets that. To be vegan and vegetarian, any of that is anti-black. First of all, we barely got any meat, so most of our sustainability during both slavery and even back to um, our time on the continent, we weren't ingesting meat like that. Most of it, we were eating crops because we were in Central Africa. Or like if you were native to West Africa, you were fishing. But if you were on East Africa, if you weren't near that peninsula, again, you were doing... Crops. You would trade with people to get meat if you could get it. If you didn't, you were eating vegetables. Why? Why all of a sudden do we need to have steak with everything or some sort of meat? Like that's. I feel like that's something we should address within our own black card evaluations. Because I do feel like black cards should be sort of like report cards, where it's all like, "What grade did you get here?" Because. Sometimes my rhythm do be fluctuating. <laughs> I'm not even going to front. I got a C last week. And you ain't got Africa drowns running through you? <laughs> the motherland? Not last week. <laughs> I crunched my knee said, ooh. Okay. <laughs> you just got to get back to your roots. Get them greens in you. Um, do you feel like your parents have shaped your black experience specifically? Yes, absolutely. And I've had various um parents depictions of what the black experience was that's been handed down to me from my mom and my dad my dad was very afrocentric and i learned who asada was when i was 13 years old you know read her autobiography stolen legacy has been a book that he's handed to me since my teenage years that's still in my library however my primary parent was my mother and she is a snowflake so um that kind of affected my black experience because i tend to water down a lot of that afrocentricity that was handed down to me for the sake of being palatable for white folks or do you do it absolutely for the sake of being palatable to white folks that i was going to school with to fit into the um the social environment my mom was raising me in Um, and then, you know, you, then, you know, you spend time with your cousins and your aunties and they all live in the hood in LA, not in the Valley with the white people like you. So then you gotta, you know, deal with the whole, oh, you talk too proper. 
You you sound like you've been out there with the white folk too long. You high to Diddy. You right. Too you too good to drink Kool Aid. Let's get the queen some champagne. I hated that sentence. I really did. Yes, yes, yes. So yeah, I would think that my parents really, really did shape that. And I will say that I do wish that I would have paid attention more and dived in more to what my father was handing down to me. But I'm glad he instilled it in me because when I got older, I came back to it. I feel that. Mm-hmm. It's a little complicated, my experience. So my mother, um, very pro-black, very much a pro-black experience. She instilled in me. However, also I have to acknowledge as well, she had the liberty and luxury of being incredibly pro-black because she is a light-skinned woman. And on top of that, she was a light-skinned woman in the 90s. So, it, not to say that it wasn't hard for her, but she could be out in these streets going, no justice, no peace. And, like, it, <laughs> it wouldn't have been as, like, harshly received. However, also, I have to acknowledge that she was more, her blackness was more so speaking to the hip-hop existence. It wasn't social justice topics. It was more so speaking to, um... She'll bust down a, sh- a sugar-free lyric in a heartbeat. Put any any old head to shame. I promise you that. I can promise you that. In fact, I constantly go back home. Anytime I go home, I raid her CD collection because she has this gigantic bin of different CDs she's always retained over the years. Always find something new. There's always a new artist in there that I've not heard of. There's always a new song. There's always... A- I love getting to her old mixes too because it's always seeing different like breakdowns because artists didn't always do the same rendition of songs. And so I got a lot of like both my musicality and my like person like my personality and even social experience of blackness from my mother. However, alternately, I got my militant and political blackness and a lot of my structure of blackness from my father. And it was a little bit of a tampered situation because while my father was incredibly like pro-black in that light and very militant and structured, he was also very hypocritical and toxic. So it was one of those things where how do I figure out what part of this I need to listen to, what part of this I need to cast aside, what part of this is actually valuable, what part of this is just you being a piece of shit. And then also I had to figure out and learn as I got educated both in the school system and independently what parts of different things he was saying were prejudices that he were sort of pushing upon me that I had to unlearn. And even still to this day, I've got one of those like, fuck you crackers kind of mindsets that comes out, especially when pushed. Like, I, I've got my mother's side of it where I can be palatable and not, like, again, with her, like, they both were strict about education, but she was really, really adamant about me getting into my books and stuff. And so it was a passion of mine at a young age, so she really fed and nurtured me reading different encyclopedias. I had access to different like animal books. I had access to a whole bunch of different sciences. She had no problem taking me to the library. Like I said, I started out in private school too, so I had a wider scope of education as well. I initially started out um, learning Swahili in kindergarten. These like, it was, uh, I went to Marcus Garvey uh, private school that was a part of my black experience, again, for my mother, because she was sewing into black education. So it's it's been an interesting thing also to learning, because we call it code switching now. It was I used to call it back in the day, my mama's um, bill collector voice. 
Or her telephone voice. Get it from my mama. That's exactly what it is. Because I've never, like, I've known my father, and I considered it partially ignorant, but now that I've gotten older and started realizing it, I'm like, no, he just didn't decide. He made the active decision not to code switch because he doesn't talk per, like, astute or professionally to anyone unless he, like, really... It's got to be one of the things where he actually trusts you to want to take off the... I hate to say ignorant guys, but that's kind of what it is. Like, to tone down the, like... Jive, the 70s jive turkey thing also I should probably note there's an age difference between my mother and my father there's a 13 year age difference exactly. so my father's in his 60s right now my mother just got to her 50s so but you mentioned one of the I guess the privilege in that dual black experience is that it allowed you it built the skills to be able to code switch effectively which is an important skill to have as a black person. You need to be able to get a seat at that table when it's necessary, but also put them in their place when it's necessary. It made me very black adaptable, mm-hmm. which it was, it started out like, it was definitely a skill of trial and error because elementary school was hard as fuck. Mm-hmm. And then middle school, it was hard, but I sort of, learned more and more and then as I got to high school I didn't have exactly a mastery of it because well I was better at doing that whole black flip switch where I people knew I was smart but also I could still be funny but there was still the figuring out that sense of annoyance because I was incredibly immature in all other aspects because I was incredibly intelligent but that's a different conversation <laughs> but I had the luxury of, since I had both of those aspects of blackness, having to figure out, okay, what if I put a couple drops of this with a little bit of this and figuring out what worked with people. And it made me, like, it grew to the point where I ended high school on a note where I don't think I had any enemies. Mm. And I don't think a lot of people can say that at all. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not saying I was everyone's favorite, Mm -hmm. but I was incredibly palatable to some capacity for everybody. Mm -hmm. Now, I won't reach to say that everyone was my friend, because that would be delusional, but... (laughs) Yeah, there's still, like, actively to this day, many different people from high school would... If I friended or friended them on Facebook, which I'm probably not going to do, because I don't really feel the need to, like, reach back for people in high school, it's one of those things where if I re-experience you in the world now, because I'm an adult and I've got to reintroduce myself, especially because I wasn't trans in high school, I didn't have the terminology for it. I just sort of referred to myself as a unicorn, which fucking got ruined for me in 2020. So fuck you to the person who, like, explained unicorn hunting and as well also... Also was your okay. When did that become a thing? Sorry, I'm like side tangent. It's yes, okay. because it's like first it was like okay, you know, don't really go there with the unicorn thing because it might be like disrespectful to certain cultures and whatnot. Wait, why? Because I guess it has some religious or spiritual aspect to it that's utilized in um, a, a, a group of people that I, I don't really have all the information with. But it was kind of like... I'm going to be problematic right now. I'm going to say, if you don't know all this information and you can't really put your finger on who it's offensive to, and ain't nobody really been able to tell you where it comes from or why it's offensive, fuck out of here. Well, if I can't remember it now, doesn't mean that I didn't remember at that point that makes me remember it now, right? Right? It's about facts, right? Going back to the facts. But now, I'm reading Unicorn has this other definition in... um, the world, and that's kind of bothering me too. Right, because like I said, I used to identify myself as a unicorn in high school. I'm like, I'm not quite a boy, but I don't want to be a girl, so... I'm not your sex slave. How about that? Right, that's a whole nother thing. Now it's 
the whole thing of unicorns being this special creature because they're willing to hook up with a couple. They're the ones that you, like, people out there who are into threesomes, down with threesomes as a third person in a couple, you are a, a, a unicorn in this new capacity. Right. I am not, and I am not comfortable with that. And I hate the fact that, I mean, I understand language is adaptable, but mm-hmm. I hate the fact that I had to find out that way. Right. Thank you, Netflix. Oh, you learned from Netflix. I, le- I learned this from a Tinder interaction. Basically, I matched with this guy. We were having a great conversation. I'm like, oh my God, thanks. And then he brings up the whole thing. And like, so tell me, what made you be a unicorn? And I go to explain it. And they're like, oh, that's not at all what I said. I'm like, well, what did you think I meant? I'm like... I, I understand different deviations of it, but sure. Go ahead and tell me your definition. He's all like, oh, no, I'm actively in a couple right now. A unicorn, I thought you were someone who would have been interested in perhaps getting with us. I'm like, the fuck? When I tell you, I I do not make practice of ghosting people. As shitty a texter as I am, if you text me, I'll eventually get back to you. I have yet to talk to this man since. I, Done. Exactly. Do you feel like also, because um, I feel like actually that pay, that plays into this whole black experience thing. Do you feel like we're um, sort of regaled to these roles of, or at least black femmes, we're regaled to these roles of like incredibly freakiness? Yes. Okay. So I was in a situation where I was in need of help and the person who came to provide the help thought that because I had my titties out and my booty crack showing through my Daisy Dukes on that that meant that I was some type of black porn star that was ready to just drop it like it's hot and put my ass and back it up all on them so yeah I do think that um what everyone assumes that um what they see on tv is what they get whether that be the man running away from the cops you know with the cops shooting him in the back or that be the girl in the video dropping it like it's hot. Big booty bitches. Hey, Big hey, booty hey, bitches. Hey, hey, <laughs> which I can do, by the way, but not when I feel like it. It's How not about on that? command. It's Thank when you. I want to. Thank you. Also, like, on the flip side of that, because I found myself having this conversation as well. Um, black people are actually, like, in active practice, more sexually conservative because we're afraid to venture out, mostly out of this, like... It's a sense of wanting normalcy within the world, but also, like, we've been put into this pariah space so long that we're afraid that if we decide to venture off and do anything, it's going to affect the black community. So, again, we can't be queer or, like, anything that even seems queer adjacent, Mm -hmm. which causes men to, like, I'm not saying you got to go and get your ass ate or any of that. I'm never going to tell you to do anything you're not comfortable with. I'm just saying address your discomfort and where it's come from and fix that issue still don't have to do it after you fix that issue but address where it came from let me give you a little bit more context the person i called for help was an officer how about that what the, oh fuck okay fuck so me. for the officer to help me and see and, and see me in that attire at that particular time and to assume so many different things about me based off of whatever fucking thoughts going on in his head or what society has taught him that's unfortunate for us black women we can't wear 
you know what I'm saying, our extensions without being called bald-headed, right? We can't have our ass out without being called a hoe. So just a little bit of context. That's, that's, that's not okay. That's not okay. So, but there's also that double standard there too, where at least like it's, I won't say at least cause it's still a terrible thing, but non-black women at least have the luxury of still mm-hmm. having a semblance of attractiveness. It's one of the, it's mm-hmm. weird with sexuality for black women. Cause we're treated as though it's a beast like this where it's like, you know, you got ass and titties, but you're not necessarily my first pick. So it's like, mm-hmm. I guess I'll fuck you, though. Yeah. It's always how it sort of translates in actual practice. It's never an actual, I actually want you as a person and as someone I find attractive. Or, damn, I like that body. Damn, I'm trying to get with you. Even as perverse as that is, it's more. it always feels like it's a, you know, I don't normally hook up with black girls. But, like, you're not so bad. Before Katy Perry kissed the damn girl and turned America crazy, Jenny I Jackson crazy. flipped her kitty. Is that where you're going with no, this? No, where I'm going oh, with this Jessica is Simmons. that black women would look at me as if I wanted to date them just because I was queer, as if I'm a hypersexual person being queer. But oh. once Katy, once Katy Perry kissed the girl, oh yeah, oh, then everyone was then gone. it was all okay. Hey, hey, hey! It's a big party. That offends me. Talking to the white woman side of things, even still, Madonna walked so Katy Perry could run. Right. And Katy, well, and, and that's me referring to white women side of things, because even still, there are black women that were on, on their feet doing the work in queerness. Angela Davis. Yes. Wait, yes. is it Angela Davis? Hmm. Was Angela Davis queer? Am I the only one? <laughs> Like we gonna keep we gonna keep my queer radar to myself on Angela Davis. I will say, I I genuinely believe Bell Hooks was queer. Yeah, well she was a feminine, and you talking about Audre Lord? That's who you going Audre, Audre Lord too. I know mm-hmm. for sure she was queer, but mm-hmm. I think I want to say Bell Hooks was queer. That's hearsay. Don't quote me, but these are my theories. You can I will provide evidence if asked, but. <sighs> Let's get into these questions. Let's go ahead and start um, picking petals. We already sort of answered that one. Um, oh, I want to start off this one. Uh, we can start with my mentor and favorite professor, uh, Dr. Lisa Johnson. Uh, she has a question. I mean, I guess it's a bit preemptive, but I guess we can start there too. She says... What's your vision for the future of blackness and, like, where we'll be? And I forgot what the other half of the question was. It'll come to me. Oh, well, the vision that I think I have is the vision of black excellence. With Dr. J presence here in this community, I don't see anything other than success, change, perseverance, um, and, and pain but good pain. Um, my vision for us in its entirety, I don't want to be pessimistic, so. It's okay. Give me your pessimism. It's not always a pretty picture of blackness, but I want to know where it leads. Let's but I think I get offended, though, because 
too I, I think I get offended about the 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 energy of pessimism that overloads us because there's no pot of gold at the end of our rainbow. Right. There's no real solution, you know? It's always so many theories, so much talk, so much conversation about our struggle, our anger, our frustration, our pain, our hurt. But all I can do is have hope because if I don't have hope then I'll be out here killing every last one of them. I mean, the national anthem said, um, sing a song full of the hope that the dark past has taught us. So mm -hmm. we, I feel like that's always going to be our striving number there. Mm -hmm. But for me to answer that question, in terms of what's to come in the future, I have a hope of, like, I am a part of different communities like Afropunk. I, I dip and dabble because I'm a very versatile individual. Kind of... I feel like it's it's a funny joke. I am a gender non-conforming, pansexual, mixed individual. I have so many alternate, like I never know what I want at any given moment. I'm always in, amalg not amalgamation, that's a negative term, but a, um, some sort of trinity or not trinity but fuck it a mixture of all these things or i'm always swaying back and forth so one day i'm all like oh my god oh my god just please find me a black queen to step on me do it right now and then the next day i'm all like sir get your ass over here on your knees right now let's do this I'm aren't sorry. you a water or earth sign i'm an earth sign yes okay Earth, sun, and moon. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <sighs> flowing. I am moving. Mm -hmm. But I want to say, like, in those visions of like Afropunk and Afrofuturism, you've got all these images of like black people in space or black people mm -hmm. not necessarily in space, but like doing these like futuristic things where they exist in their own reality i like that for us because i'm like i'm not saying segregation's a good thing however i do acknowledge and will bring to the forefront always the importance to maintain a black space because we Absolutely. do not have these within the world mm -hmm. and within that black space i want i want that to be the future of our blackness within that mm -hmm. black space we do amazing things mm -hmm. and i'm not like we can't, like, well, not, we can't, because honestly, I think we should, uh, at least parts of it, um, gatekeeping blackness for ourselves as black people. There are certain parts of our culture that we share, and they're, like, there's no other culture in the world where we feel entitled to their entire culture just because they exist. Like, Latinx people within different denominations, Mexican people, for example, um, although it's a little bit complicated. We celebrate with them with Cinco de Mayo, for example. But we don't go to them, or like Cinco de Mayo on Dia de los Muertos. But we don't go to them in the middle of their like Independence Day and try and like bombard their carnesadas. Like, well, white people still have sort of taken a monopoly on tacos, but. That's because they stole our identity. They have stripped us of our culture, uh, where we come from. Those are things that I've noticed that other people still have they still can go back to where they came from they still have family members first generation second generation third generation we're freaking 300 something years out 
before. From our generations, exactly. So it's really a privilege that I recognize that those people have that we don't have, that keeps them unified within who, that keeps them rooted to where they, where they come from. We don't have that, so yes, we get, we get it taken advantage of and we get it stripped away from us until we learn. And then they try to tell us what we're learning ain't real because it wasn't documented. But also, even speaking to the Latin experience, it's learned, it's, they have a history-ish or history-esque. Because mm-hmm. even still, they were colonized because they initially, they initially were indigenous people. Mm-hmm. And with them having indigenous people, um, they were indigenous people that had the Spaniards come in and we, like, we were fucked up to the indigenous and we still are fucked to the indigenous. But reading back on some of the story, when I tell you the Spanish were fucked up to the indigenous. Of course. Um, the first story I learned of like Spaniards and the indigenous was the story of the, um, I forget which settler it was, but one of, the, or one of the Spanish settlers came over and they saw this woman giving suck to her baby because baby was there. Spanish settler had their dogs with them, snatched the baby out the indigenous woman's hand and fed it to the dog. Mm-hmm. Spanish colonization is brutal as well. They they do not get any type of leeway versus European, col- uh, well, white colonization, so to speak. However, they deny that we are part of their history as well. Even though it's... There are several different documents and different, like, realizations. And it's a weird thing now we're facing with the within the black experience of, like, Afro-Latinos coming to the front. And I mm-hmm. love the fact that, because everyone knows, especially before the actual term Afro-Latino came to light for everybody, mm-hmm. we always knew that nigga named Juan right. that grew up around us. Or for some reason, you had a uh, fucking Jaquan um, Gonzalez. Mm-hmm. Why, why your name Jaquan, but your last name Gonzalez? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just is. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have Santeria if it wasn't for those African religious traditions that came through with us as slaves when we were plopped down into your countries, okay? It's a combination of Catholicism and Yoruba, which was from West Africa. So we are intertwined into so much of this Buddhism and Santeria and all of these high spiritual religions and ain't getting credit for nothing all because... We can't prove to them that our culture and our legacy was stolen. And then when we try to prove it, they go out of their way to discredit it or just won't accept it. Exactly. But we have to know. We have to know because it's in our soul. We have to know because it's in our spirit. We have to know because it gives us at least a semblance of belonging. Absolutely. And we learn from those black spaces. We learn from freedom school. We don't learn at the college. We don't learn at the church the black church the african methodist episcopal church we don't learn there we learn in our black spaces i I got this scripture a little bit on that one i actually did well my church was a black space so i had the luxury of it wasn't a thorough learning like everything all aspects of our blackness and different touches of religion and whatnot because Mm -hmm. again it was a church so it was I'm conditioned and I find myself drifting slightly towards agnosticism, but it's not exactly, I don't know exactly what to call this because I still believe in God and the concept or like the single overreigning deity, but I'm open to the idea that other deities exist that exist under the supreme deity. 
And that's what I'm learning now. Come on, like, how exactly is it just one God that manages everything? And then on top of managing everything and everyone, like, there's a lot of questions and conversations I have and different things. And so I'm like, I feel like you're up there because there's too much favor and whatnot that have happened in my life. And this is what I've been trained to believe this is. So I'm going to stick with it because it's worked for me. However, also, I'm not so obli- I'm not so oblivious to the world around me to believe that everything in this fucking book is exactly how I'm supposed to be living. Because this book was written by white men mm-hmm. so many years back and then rewritten by another man because there are so many different versions of the Bible. And you would think they say the same thing, but they don't. The AME Church taught me that Jesus is white. So, what kind of fucking okay. African church? I mean, is it the, most black churches you walked into? Is Jesus black on the wall or is he not white? Okay, fair enough. But also, I I don't feel like that's entirely the fault of black churches. I feel like it's also because a lot of um, there's no enlightenment. Well, not just no enlightenment. There's no edu- there's no education, or there's a denial. Well, Jesus. That's complicated for me. Like, Jesus was black, but also Jesus could have been, like, Middle Eastern by, like, I don't, how do I, like, we knew he had hair of wool, but we don't know exactly what that means. Did he have, like, a 3B hair and it was, like, wool, but it was, like, that pretty shit that we love to glorify so much? Or did he have, like, steel wool, like, Brillo pad shit? (laughs) See, See, these are important questions. I... My mother to this day will never let me live this down, but I have a legitimate question. I'm like, did Jesus have corns? Because he walked around with fucking sandals on all the time through this dirt and dust. He had to have blisters and corns. His feet couldn't have been soft, especially when that woman walked. How was that woman not bald-headed? Or she must have had some strong-ass hair or something when she washed his feet with her hair. Uh Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Jesus' feet was smooth with all that myrrh and frankincense and all them foot baths he used to give to all the people. <laughs> That's different, though. He gave them to the people, so his hands might have been soft, but their feet was crunchy. Their feet was fucking crunchy. <laughs> Poor Jesus. He didn't have no shea butter. <laughs> See, now if he was black, he would have had shea butter. Uh. Do you feel like music has shaped your black experience? And if you had listened to a different genre of music growing up, you would be different. Um, I think that music definitely um, plays a part in who I am um, as a black person. I think that um, in my family, I didn't grow up listening to Frank Sinatra. Okay. So, you know, our music kind of started what? after the 1950s you know maybe well, some music the music in my family that we listening to oh it okay. started yeah the generation maybe Listen you know to like the 60s and stuff the spinning right. tops the four maybe yeah. ella fitzgerald a little bit you know earlier than that Mahalia but jackson uh-huh mm-hmm. but um that's you know that's the music that i was taught i didn't i wasn't taught about anything else before that or af, um um or anything of white music i was only taught about motown the blues okay jazz and Mm hip-hop that's the music that helped define my black experience now that i've gotten older i've explored now african um payo mayombe and all kind of other just different um styles of music how about afro pop Okay, right. you know what I'm saying? Ni- you know, some music from Nigeria, 
Um, because what's popular over here is not popular. Mm-hmm. It's Afro pop is very important. Yep, yep, yep. And um, it made it started to make me understand though how come the the first music I've learned about is Motown. We was existing before that. True. You know. What, what was we doing back when Frank Sinatra was running around talking about singing in the rain? We, we was... Mm, what was, Sinatra was the 40s or 50s? 40s. Okay, 40s. Mm-hmm. We had doo-wop. Mm-hmm. We had mm-hmm. our own doo-wop music. I remember that, actually. Because mm-hmm. I had the lunch... I don't know... Well, I had a diverse music history. But, again, this was more so attributed to my mother than anything, but... Um, not to say my mother didn't listen to jazz, but my father was a major, like, jazz connoisseur. Like, mm-hmm. I know, mm-hmm. I have active memories growing up of him constantly turning to 94-7, the, the way. way. <laughs> now, sorry, we're both from L.A., same parts. It's a jazz station. <laughs> that you would know from Los Angeles. Right, if you're from there, you know that sound. <laughs> <laughs> Kenny G, who was on there all the time, wasn't even black. Wait, what? Kenny G. Kenny G's not black? I I just got the Tina Marisa experience all over again. Ah! Yeah, yeah. I hate it here. Mm -mm, mm -mm. He's just a white boy with curly hair. That's it. That's Ah! it. He like the real jazz that, that, you know, goes back to American jazz. No, but I mean, it was again my introduction. I had Donnie Hathaway as well, so Donnie mm-hmm. and Layla Hathaway. Mm-hmm. I had, um, mm-hmm. like I said, there was um, Ella Fitzgerald. Mm-hmm. I had exposure mm-hmm. to um, who else was that? Look, well, Mahalia Jackson wasn't actually jazz, but the sort of she took gospel turn to right mm-hmm. gospel. Motown. Yep. Um, my father was also really, really big into Patti LaBelle, so there was mm-hmm. no way I wasn't gonna get all that like um, soul and R and B growing up. Um, yep, yep. BB King. Mm-hmm. Um, Diana Ross. Yep, yep, yep. Um, Dionne Warwick was actually, mm-hmm. like, I learned about her in the context of soul music, but then actually exploring her catalog is how I got into enjoying Broadway songs and show mm-hmm. tunes and musicals and whatnot. Um, I got exposure to country music, and um, mm-hmm. I didn't know at the time, but, I, like, I resonated with it, and I later learned that, like, country music was even came from black people. Yes. Um, there was me listening to rock and this was different to my family actually because it was always funny growing up here and people go ah you listen to that white bullshit <laughs> and my mom like sometimes she would make that joke too but also she would let me ride because mm-hmm. she's like go ahead listen to all the music and then I grew up and I'm all like actually it's not white people shit and I don't know why I felt the need to try and fight my family on this and go back and like you were wrong <laughs> but <laughs> but I did and she's like I know I just needed you to get there and if I'd have handed you that then what good would it do you now mm-hmm. but I I don't I don't know if I would be a different person maybe if I if I grew up listening to more pop, can I listen to the same frame of pop music that black people, that like black people growing up listen to? So like, I had my Avril Lavigne, I had my Katy Perry, I had my Taylor Swift. Um, these are the white people I can name off the top of my head. I had my Madonna because my mom grew up around that time. But like, all this, it was always the popular music that was a, adjacent and very, very like it had to be top one hundred because it wasn't gonna be anything more than that. 
I couldn't really, like I said, I couldn't name Frank Sinatra as a kid. I can do it now, but um, I couldn't name Frank Sinatra, but I can name Otis Redding. I can name Sam Cooke. That was my experience of music. So actually, now that I'm thinking about it, my music was very, very black growing up until I started to like venture out myself and like with different TV and like radio exposure, expo- listen to more different type of genres. But maybe it would have changed growing up because now that I think about it, I'm like, I was kind of negrofied in my music, so maybe if I'd have grown up, especially with my access to education and everything, mm-hmm. just changing the music I was listening to, I don't know. Ooh, would I have been a coon? <laughs> I hope, God, I hope not. If I exist in some alternate universe and I'm a coon, somebody please, because I know within that alternate universe, there's got to be. There's got to be technology, because I know if I was a coon, there's got to be a brilliant mind that's invented how to reach the dimensions. Shoot me immediately. Kill that me. I don't want that me to exist in this world no more. Or, which, But on the subject of music, I'm going to go ahead into plugging your roots, and I'm going to go ahead and go first in this, because it's imperative that we have our five songs. Also... I don't know if you've paid attention. Each week, those playlists are collaborative. So, the links to the songs. Um, while I am laying out the groundwork with these songs, you're more than welcome to add songs into it as well. Because this is supposed to be our experience. As a pedal, I want you to feel like a part of this hedge. Because we are family. Actually, that's song number four. But, oh well. Um, song number one, for obvious fucking reasons, and I'm black, y'all, and I'm black, y'all, and I'm bliggity black, and I'm black, y'all, and I'm bliggity black, and I'm not finna do that right now. I also, I should probably clarify, I promise I'm sober, I'm just, I'm on this weird natural high, but I will be high later, because this is being recorded during the daytime. As soon as I get off work, I am about to be zooted, booted, and cooked up like fresh rice. Second one, because I'm going on the same train here. Actually, maybe they can be co-number ones. Um, Say It Loud by James Brown, because these are, again, black mantras. So if we're going to start this month with black history, we're going to start it right. Um, We've got our hip-hop version of it, and then we got our soul version. Say it loud. I'm black and I'm proud. Um, And... I don't care if you don't know none of the other words, which it doesn't have too many of that many, too many other words, but just say that part over and over. As a matter of fact, put it on a loop. Now, if you're not black, don't put it on a loop. If you like, you can encourage other black people. Like you can go say it loud, but if you say I'm black and I'm proud, just know I'm gonna slap you, cause you look stupid. You look dumb. Um. Actually, you know what? We'll alternate since it's. I did my code number ones. I did. Uh. Kat, do you have what would be your first uh, song for Black History Month? Mm, Take Me to the Alley by Gregory Isaacs. Hoppo, who this woman? (laughs) 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 Oh, it's a good song. It's a good song. And he sings of a lot of things that speaks to the Black experience. And my great auntie, who is a priestess of the Ife tradition, um, introduced me to Gregory Isaacs two years before she passed away just um, December 26th 
and um, if you tap into him, start with take me to the alley and let him drift you into another space. Um, I'm actually gonna have to give that one a good listen because I'm not familiar. I'm not even gonna lie to you. Um, for number two, I want to say again, speaking to Mr. Halfway, I'm gonna go with one of his all-time popular songs, a uh, song for you, but not in the guise of like romanticism, like the song is. I want to paint it for again our blackness. So. It's more so looking at yourself in the mirror as a black person and within the world you've done so much for everyone else so you're coming home and you're giving yourself this ballad for yourself as a black individual and you're cradling and making love to your blackness because you've got to love all of your black existence because sucks to suck you are going to be black above everything else as much as like I said I prefer to coexist in my blackness but it's always going to be black before all those other things it's going to be the very start of the entirety of my phrase because if I don't open my mouth if I don't say nothing black maybe femme will be the first part of my existence um what would you do for number two so we got a new electric slide out there, if y'all ain't tapped into it. And you know that Jerusalem by Master KG. I think that's a good black history song. Learn that new African electric slide. I'm going to have to learn that one. <laughs> I got to dance. I, I got to do the electric slide, the cha-cha slide, the wobbles. Oh, this is my ankles. <laughs> And you look, February comes before hat season, which comes before the fucking cookout season. And if everything goes as planned with this new um, administration, which we're not happy about, let's be very clear. We're not set. We settled for Biden. This was not our choice. We are not content where we are. This is we still strive for upper mobility. But assuming everything goes well, I'll need another song to dance to at the damn cookout. Why would you do this to me? <laughs> it's a good one. It's a good one. It's a good one. Um, song number three. Ooh. I, I'm going to do FUBU by Solange because this shit is for us. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Some shit you can't touch. This shit is for us. Oh, uh, my niggas in the whole world know. <laughs> you know what? Let me stop before I really get into this damn song. Because, oh, it's just so good to my soul. What's, what's your number three? Number three? Number three. Shout out for number three. Okay, I've been playing this song almost every morning since Christmas. It's helped me come <clears throat> into the new year. And it's Tasha. Tasha Cobbs Leonard, Ooh. Your Spirit, featuring Kiara Shear. A little, okay, okay, yes. A little gospel moment. We need Jesus. Because it's always in us. Right, we need Jesus in our music. It's mm. unfortunate, but well, mm. I won't say Jesus. Your Spirit. We need spirituality in our music. There you go, because the creator, the, the highest, right? Yes. The most powerful can be anything you perceive that to be right it could be jesus it could be yahweh it could be elijah it could be buddha 
But it we can be all, the universe. Exactly. But we all just need to recognize that there is a higher power outside of us. <sighs> Number four for me, because I, I want to take this moment. It is a, it's an odd to queer culture because it's a voguing song. But as well as it being a voguing song, it's also a song by a black woman who is speaking to her black experience. Attitude by LaKaylee47. So what? I got an attitude. Bitch, I got an attitude. <laughs> Check it. Period. Like, there is no reason for me to be happy. First of all, there are a few reasons for me to be happy in general in this world. But then on top of that, I and most black people I've met are kind individuals, but are not necessarily nice. And we don't have to be nice, because fuck your feelings. I'm here to get shit done. But while I'm here... This isn't to say I'm finna be fucked up to you. You can be mean and feed somebody. You can be nice and watch somebody starve because you're like, oh, being nice is, oh my God, I'm so sorry you're homeless. You can be mean and go and get a homeless person a sandwich. There's a major difference there. You see the disconnect? Kind gets shit done. Nice makes you feel good. What's your number four? I'm sorry. That was that was me being angry. You know what? I'm not going to apologize. I'm not sorry for being angry. I'm sorry it was on Winded. I want to bring us back. Bring us back to something that fed my soul when I was growing up. Something to get me back into the 90s. Okay? Mm-hmm. Something to give us a little bit of that hip-hop feel. Tell me by Groove Theory. Tell me if you want me. Yes! Yes, I love that. <laughs> okay. Um. Ah. Any particular reasoning behind that, or is it just just a vibe? The goes, vibe, yes. I'm the sure. parties that you know at Grandma's house, everybody all drinking. Playing spades, playing dominoes, kids running around, everybody full, fried chicken, ribs, the cookout. Right. For my number five, I want to do this song. Um, Black men, I realize in this space right now, a lot of you tend to feel attacked. And I'm not going to lie to you. We're not attacking you. We're attacking a lot of major facets of your character because these are things that you've been allowed to sit and stew in for far too long. Um, and so now for us to thrive and truly exist, we have to call you out and make you better men. And I'd like to make that very apparent. This, us calling you out on these things, aren't us bashing you. It's holding you accountable so that you can be the kings that you proclaim to be and that we see you to be. Brother by Angie Stone. Mm, mm-hmm. Yes, yes. It's an acknowledgement to the versatility that our brothers have because y'all are an amazingly diverse mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. But on top of you being an amazingly diverse people, you do, like, there are so many brothers behind bars because of a system that's built to, like, oppress. What police brutality is to men, the medical system is to women. Mm-hmm. So we're not, believe me when I say, we're not oblivious to what's going on. Mm-hmm. We love you. Absolutely, yep. What you got for me, Kat? Ooh, okay, so, you know, with it being black history, okay, mm-hmm. let's introduce some of our 
African artists. Okay? We got Macambo by Jeffrey Oriema. Talk to me. Yes. Yes. Okay? Explore some artists who are speaking our native tongue that we may not understand, but we can feel the music. We can listen to all those beautiful instruments, right? That West African harp that they're playing so melodically and just feel, feel the spirit, feel the positivity, feel our people through us. If we can listen to Spanish music, Despacito, then um, I think we can tap into. Well, actually I'll, I'll lend a little bit of like, um agency despacito is reggaeton which comes again from an african there we uh, go because we recognize where it all came from a lot of caribbean music or afro-caribbean music Mm -hmm. has a lot of the similar beats and whatnot and that's sort of been translated within different latin communities but still comes from african music yep absolutely uh there's an honorary mention i want to do because actually this is my friend um if you remember destiny from episode one um she put me on to this song because we were listening to music and I fucking love it so much. It's actually a Nigerian disco song from the 1980s. It's called Only You by Steve Manite or I'm not sure exactly how to say the last name. God forgive me. Uh, that's my honorary mention. I'm going to throw that in there. I really want y'all to vibe to it because when I tell you the song came on, I'm like, I fuck with this. And my experience of like black music was like, black disco music, I should say, was like, um, Sylvester, Donna Summers, you get me? Um, like Earth, Wind, and Fire, that kind of stuff. Cool in the Gang, that was my experience. So to hear that disco was worldwide, that snatched me bald. I'm like, um, I mean, niggas have been great, but niggas is great. <sighs> and now we've reached our final segment, turning a new leaf. Kat, do you have any advice for my black people? I guess this could be about going into the month, specifically for Black History Month. This could be about the black experience in general, things that you'd like to impress upon them to maybe take. uh, Maybe even something that you wish you could have said to yourself. Um, I think that if we all just learn a little bit more about our contributions to America, our contributions to ancient civilization, if we become more aware, become more educated, more enlightened within ourselves, and we do our self-work, it will contribute to the benefit of us as a whole and humanity. I love that. Actually, I really do. Um, For me, I want to encourage us as black people to break cycles. Um, That starts with if you're like if you're grown or maybe not even if you're grown, if you're a child too, respectfully, because you know how to do it. Present the topics with your parents about ways that they're ailing you. If you know if you can find ways to make them listen or at least bring it to their attention. 
Or if you're unfortunately not in a space where your parents are going to listen to you in ways that they're ailing you, then you remember this and all the ways that you've been ailed so that you can go to therapy because therapy is not a white people thing. And we began talking about mental health, but I need you to really like double down and truly like believe it and actively act on it. Um, go to therapy, do the work on the things that you had ailing you so that you don't continue spreading this to the next generation because we we are our first impression of the world we are our first black people in the world because we have our family first and on top of that like if we have children we are going to be the first black people our children experience we want to give them the best experience possible that means we don't want to start out with like yelling because we need to teach them while our voices do have range we don't want to teach them that the upper decibels and upper range of our voice is the casual voice because we want to be able to teach them that their voice should have range and flexibility and that they can go from down here and chilling and without being high. They can be up here and excited without being drunk and turned up. They don't got to be angry. They don't got to be at a party. They can learn that that's also called projecting and having that versatility in their voice. There's a full range there and a scope that I really think we should truly exhibit. And so many other different ways we can break cycles. Um, Big, like... Sewing into our women the fact that they are beautiful, not just strong, sewing into them that they are beautiful, that they are intelligent, that they are enough, that their bodies actually matter, that we are listening to them. So many different things that we can sew into one another. So many different cycles we can break. I want you to try and find as many as you can. Break all them bitches. Make you a pretty new circle. Start a new cycle. If you can't find one to break. And then when you finish that, go and hug somebody. Because damn it. And I mean I mean that non-gender specific. Men do not be afraid to hug another man. Women have no problem with that whole gender specific thing. But I needed to make that specific because we are perpetuating. Again, break the cycle of homophobia within, and like toxic masculinities within our communities. We got to love ourselves, y'all. To borrow a phrase from Monique, I love us for real. Mm-hmm. Yes. Where can we? Where can the people find you, Kat? Right now, I'm hiding. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Right now, I am definitely hiding. But in the very, 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 very near future, you will be able to connect with me uh-huh. via Facebook under Kat Chico and other social media platforms. So. I'll go ahead and make sure, like, I won't do it right now because Kat's, like she said, she incognito right now. Um, when she releases all this information, I'll go ahead and plug it in the description information below for you to find her. As well as give her the noted shout out because you know I love to plug my people. It's been a real one. I love you guys always. For Thank you for letting me be myself. Thank you for being here, Kat. I'll catch you all in the next one. Bye, y'all.